Okay, uh, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Welcome to another episode of the Bible History Project. Before we proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting and most holy Father, we praise and glorify your holy name. We acknowledge your blessings in our life. We believe our life comes from you, and you have a divine purpose for each and every one of us. It is our joy and pleasure to search the scriptures, to embrace all of your teachings, because we believe it is profitable for our souls. Throughout the study of your holy words, we ask and beg you, O God, enlighten our minds and move our hearts to action, that we will follow your teachings always in our life. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you as well. May you dwell in the hearts of your servants and strengthen the faith of everyone. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. Yes. You have forgiven also all our sins. Yes. And you will send the power of your Holy Spirit yes. to guide each and every one of us. Amen. We ask and beg everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Uh, again, thank you so much for attending our Bible study tonight. We know you are busy and tired. Nevertheless, you took the time to be here to study God's words, which shows me one thing. You really love the words and commandments of God, which is why it is our honor and pleasure to teach you all of scriptures. Remember what the Apostle Paul said? We need to learn and benefit from the entirety of the scriptures. We begin with Genesis all the way to Revelation. However long that may take, we're going to study every part of the scriptures or the book of our Almighty God. So we are now Genesis in Genesis 25, and this will be our first encounter with the twins, right? Who are they? Jacob and Esau. But before we go to Jacob and Esau, in Genesis chapter 25, we find the birth of the twins. We also find the death of a patriarch. What's his name? Abraham. Now, before Abraham... Before we discuss the death of Abraham, of course, there were many descendants that came from Abraham, not just Isaac, who also became descendants of Abraham. Let's read Genesis 25, 1 down to 4. Abraham married another woman whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. And the descendants of the Dan were the Ashurim, the Letushim, and the Lem, the Lumim. The sons of Midian were Epah, Ephor, Hanok, Abida, and Eldaah. All these were Keturah's descendants. So we know before Abraham dies, he marries another woman. We don't know who she is or where she came from and what happened to her afterwards. The Bible doesn't talk about that. What does the Bible talk about? It talks about Keturah's descendants. These are also then descendants of Abraham. However, we will not find much information about the descendants of Keturah. One notable exception, we see Midian. Remember Midian? Midian became the descendants or the father of the Midianites. In Midian, if you still remember the story of Moses... After Moses slays an Egyptian, he runs off because the Pharaoh wanted to kill him. Guess where he went to? Midian, the desert of 
Midian. Midian was a descendant of Abraham. However, the scriptures do not really elaborate on the descendants of Keturah and Keturah herself. Why not? Genesis 25, 5-6, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. Yes, he had many sons, but he left everything he owned to who? Isaac. But while he was still alive, he gave presents to the sons of his other wives had bore him. Then he sent these sons to the land of the east, away from his son Isaac. You have to keep in mind the Holy Scriptures tell of a story. A story about what? About God's people, about God's relationship with the people that he chose according to his will, according to his election. This is why we zero in on Isaac, because the Bible is a Hebrew book. It was written from the perspective or point of view of the Hebrew people being the people of God. And so what we target, what we focus on is the story of Isaac. Take note of what Abraham decides to do with his other sons, like Ishmael, who was sent away. His other sons were also sent away to the land of the east. That way, there is no conflict, there is no danger, because maybe out of jealousy, they might kill who? Isaac. It could happen, right? And so Abraham, he was very smart. He was making sure that Isaac would be preserved. Well, what happened to Ishmael, another son that came from the loins of Abraham? Let's read Genesis 25, 12 down to 18. Now, this is the genealogy of Ishmael. Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael, by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, these are so hard names, very difficult names, Nebajoth, then Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadar, Tema, Jatur, Nafish, and Kedema. These were the sons of Ishmael. And these were their names by their towns and their settlements, 12 princes to correspond to the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 princes according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They dwelt before Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. We know Abraham had another son besides Isaac and the descendants of Keturah. In fact, the one that was born to him first was who? Ishmael. But because he was not the son of the promise, the focus is away from Ishmael and towards Isaac. Ishmael, nevertheless, God said he would be blessed with many nations as well. And so, sure enough, what happened to the descendants of Ishmael? Well, he gave birth to sons who would be leaders of nations, the 12 princes. They're called the Ishmaelites. And what place would the Ishmaelites occupy? They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. To give you a pictorial, a graphic illustration of that. Next slide. So Havilah is right there. So it extends all the way to Shur, north of Egypt, through Assyria. And it is east of Egypt. So that would be the 
place that we call Saudi Arabia today. This is why we, we can say the Ishmael became the father of the Arab people. And just like what the prophecy said, there's going to be hostility between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac. Isaac, the descendants of Abraham as well, because there is conflict even today between the Arab nation and the people of Israel. Okay, so that's where they reside. Now, after the death, or how long, what was the age of Abraham when he died? Genesis 25, 7 down to 10. Abraham lived for 175 years, and he died at a ripe old age. I think I would agree with that, right? That's a pretty ripe, pretty good age to die. Having lived a long and satisfying life, he breathed his last and joined his ancestors in death. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the fields of Ephron, son of Zohar, the Hittite. This was the field Abraham had purchased from the Hittites and where he had buried his wife, Sarah. So who was present in the burial? It was Isaac and Ishmael. This is why when you go to the cave of Machpelah, there in Hebron, you will find present the presence of the Arabs and also the Jewish people. Okay, this is why when we go there and look for that hole, we're kind of we're going to look for that cave. <laughs> but you have to be able to fit. So uh, I guess I'm going to take Sister Shandy with me. She's the only one who's probably going to fit through that hole. So after Abraham dies, right? What, where's the focus? Where, where does the focus go to? Genesis 25, verse 11. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son, Isaac, who settled near Be'er Lahai Roy in Negev. And so God had a promise to Abraham. That promise would be fulfilled complete, will not be fulfilled completely through him alone, but it would extend to Isaac his sons and their descendants, all the way to the Christian era and beyond. Because this is God's covenant that cannot be broken, that he made with Abraham when God cut a covenant with him, which we discussed in our previous study. So it was necessary for God to bless Isaac. Isaac would be the one to continue the covenant that God made with Abraham. This is why before Isaac, or before Abraham died, when he was old, uh, old of age, what did he decide to do? Next slide. Genesis 25, 19 and 20. This is the story of Abraham's son, Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, an Aramean from Mesopotamia and sister of Laban. And so before he died, Abraham made sure that Isaac would be cared for. Why? Because Isaac is the link eventually to the Messiah and the Abrahamic covenant. And so he secured a good wife for Isaac. Her name was Rebecca. How old was Isaac when he got married? 40 years old. And so when Isaac and Rebecca got married, guess what? Abraham wanted more than anything. What did he want more than anything? Abraham. If you know you're about to die, and you, God has a promise, and you arrange a marriage with Isaac, 
more than anything, Abraham wants to see those boys, right? He wants to see his grandkids. But you know what? Isaac had to wait about 20 years after he got married, 40 years old. He had to wait 20 years before Rebecca got pregnant. Is 20 years a long time? That's a pretty long time. Do you remember Sarah and Abraham when they had to wait 20-some years before Sarah got pregnant? Remember that? They believed God had a promise, and so what did he do? They tried to fulfill that promise according to their own terms. What did Sarah say to Abraham? Impregnate Hagar. Abraham said yes. And so they tried to fulfill that promise of God according to their own terms. They did it their way instead of waiting on God. I wonder if Isaac and Rebekah would follow the same pattern. What do you think? Do you think they'd eventually learn? Instead of trying to force the prophecy, instead of trying to force the promise of God, I wonder what Isaac decided to do this time. Genesis 25, 21, because Rebekah had no children. What did Isaac do? He looked for a servant? No. This is what Abraham and Sarah should have done, right? But they learned from their past mistakes. So Isaac, what does he decide to do? Isaac prayed to the Lord for her. The Lord answered his prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant. Brethren, when God has a promise, we can ask God. When we are encountering any difficulties in our life, we can pray to God. That's what we need to do first. Go to God first. And let God be the one to take care of us. Now, after Rebecca got pregnant, she was happy, right? But sometimes there can be complications in your pregnancy. Am I right? I think the women here, the mothers here, know this very well. There can be crazy things that happens in that womb, right? And so what happened after Rebecca got pregnant? Genesis 25, verse 22, she was going to have twins. Wow. They weren't expecting that, right? But God gave them twins. Wonder why. She was going to have twins, and before they were born, they struggled against each other in her womb. She said, why? Should something like this happen to me? So she went to ask the Lord for an answer. So here's Rebecca. She's pregnant, but there's a complication. Something's happening in her womb. Bible says they struggled. The twins in her womb struggled against each other. Now, when we look at the Hebrew word for struggle, this is what we come up with. Next slide. This is a picture of the Hebrew. I'm not even going to pronounce that for you. But it, actually, it means to crush to smash up, to shatter. And so the movements in her womb, they were not normal. This is why, what did she say to herself? Next slide. Why should something like this happen to me? Perhaps she thought she was going to die. Because this was crazy, what was happening in her womb. And so what did she do? She did what she should have done, what we all should do when we have problems in our life. When we sometimes question why things happen to us, why is this happening to me? What did she do? She prayed to God. She went to ask the Lord for an answer. And God gave her an answer. What was that answer? This answer God gives her is a prophecy. 
and it's also controversial and its impact, its impact extends all the way to today. Let's read Genesis 25, verse 23. The Lord said to her, two nations. She was not just carrying two kids. She was carrying what? Two nations. Two nations are within you. You will give birth to two rival peoples. One will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. We'll talk more about that prophecy later. So God reveals this prophecy to her. I'm just wondering, and please, you know, we're not here to be dogmatic. I'm just thinking, I wonder if Rebecca mentioned this prophecy to his husband, to her husband. What's her husband's name? I wonder if he mentions this, if she mentions this at all to, to Isaac. Isaac, by the way, uh, the older will serve the younger. I don't really know. And the reason why we'll discuss not today, but in our other Bible study. I just want to point that out. Genesis 25, 24, 26. What happened? What was the names given to the twins? Genesis 25, the, ten, the time came for her to give birth and she had twin sons. The first one was reddish and his skin was like a hairy robe. So his name, so he was named Esau. The second one was born holding on tightly to the heel of Esau as though he did not want Esau to come out first. He wanted to come out first, not Esau. So he was named what? Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. I want to pause here for a while. When the twins were born, did Abraham get to see them? Did Abraham get to see his grandkids? Yes? No? How old was Isaac? 60. When they were born? 60 years old. How old was Isaac when Abraham died? Well, when, how old was uh, Abraham when, when Isaac was born? One? 100. When did he die? When he was how old? When did Abraham die? 175. So he saw his grandkids. They lived another 15 years before Abraham passed away. Isn't God good? God let him see and play with his grandsons, the future of his descendants, Isaac. Maybe not Esau. <laughs> Isaac. Anyways, Isaac and Esau were born. They were twins, but apparently they were not identical twins. Why? They looked different. One was reddish and was hairy. Imagine that. <laughs> Being born hairy. And so they called him Esau. The second one was named Jacob because he was holding on tightly to the heel of Esau. So physically, they look different. How about personality-wise? Did they have the, the same personality? Let's read uh, Genesis 25, 27, 28. So the boys grew. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. And so he would be like today's jock, you know. Man of the world, he did everything. He was muscular, perhaps. 
loved the outdoors, loved nature. It was all about activity. He's probably a sports buff. He loved to be active. How about the how about Jacob? But Jacob was a mild man in terms of today's vernacular, maybe a nerd. So you got a jock and a nerd, maybe. Right? He was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac, who did he love? Esau, because he ate of his game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Apparently, uh, Jacob was a, a homeboy. <laughs> he, loved, he loved the home. He loved the tents. And Esau, he was an out, outdoorsman. He loved the earth, right? He, loves, he was a man of the field. So personality-wise, they were very different. And I was interested in the, the word mild there because Jacob is described as a mild man. And so when we look at the Hebrew word for mild, next slide comes from the Hebrew word tam, which means complete, perfect, guiltless, without sin. <laughs> Very interesting. I wonder what that could be in reference to. Next slide. If you look at, uh, he was a mild man, perfect, complete, dwelling in tents. Remember, Abraham and his family and the people with Abraham, they represented back then the true religion. And so they were distinct from the people around them because they were already practicing the true worship of God. And often they would, where would they worship? In the tents. And so we can say Jacob was more of a spiritual man. Whereas Esau was focused on the earth, Jacob was focused on heaven. Whereas Jake, uh, Esau was focused on material and fleshly things, Isaac or Jacob was more dwelling and contemplating spiritual things. So their personalities were very different. One was more materialistic. The other one was more spiritual. And because what happened after a certain time passed, Genesis 25, 29, 32, one day, while Jacob was cooking some bean soup, Esau came in from hunting. He was hungry and said to Jacob, I'm starving. Give me some of that red stuff. Bean soup that's colored red. Sounds like chili beans, doesn't it? Okay. I'm starving. Give me some of that red stuff. That is why he was named Edom. Edom. Jacob answered, I will give it to you if you give me your rights as the firstborn son. Esau said, all right, I'm about to die. What good will my rights do to me? Who was the favorite of Rebekah? Jacob. What prophecy did Rebekah receive? The younger, uh, the older will serve the younger. I don't know about you, but I can imagine Rebekah telling Jacob, Jacob, you may be the younger one, but I know something your dad don't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the conversation went that way. Jacob, you know what? One day, you're going to be the ruler. Not your kuya, but you. <laughs> because God had a prophecy. And God said that, revealed that prophecy to me. I don't know. Because look, Jacob 
he really wants that birthright, <laughs> right? I mean, where would that desire come from? Probably mom. <laughs> and you know, when you have like favorites in the household, it's gonna lead to a lot of problems. And we'll discuss that in the next few episodes. But I want you to keep in mind, God had a prophecy. Jacob wanted that birthright, but he did not need to conspire to get that birthright. It was already his because God has prophesied it. But sometimes when you try to get it done your way, you get into a lot of trouble, right? And so we'll find out what Jacob eventually does and what kind of trouble he gets in. But at this point, we know that Esau doesn't care too much about the birthright, but Jacob, he wants it bad. And so here comes out, he comes from hunting, he's starving, he wants to make a trade. Give me your birthright, I'll give you this food. And so what happened after that? Genesis 25, 33, 34, but Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn of his brother, Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. And so in exchange for lentil stew and some bread, Jacob was able to get the birthright because Esau would swear an oath that his birthright has been given to him. There was an exchange, a transaction that was made. Now, I don't know if that's legal or if that's binding, but later on it becomes binding when Isaac begins to bless his son. We'll talk about that in Genesis number 27. And so that's the story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis number 25. And so what can we know, what can we learn from this episode of the life of Jacob and Esau? Next slide. We can, have, we can learn practical and theological lessons. Let's go with the practical lesson first. Hebrews chapter 12, 16 and 17, Apostle Paul, when he went back to study the life, of Jacob and Esau. There's something he wants us to learn, something he wants us to apply. What is that? He says, let no one become immoral or unspiritual like Esau, who for a single meal sold his rights as the older son. And so what can we learn from Esau and Jacob? The apostle Paul tells us we should not be like Esau, who was what? unspiritual. Remember Esau and Jacob both, they belong to the religion of their father. And so they belong to the people of God. But sometimes it's not enough simply to belong to God's people. We have to be spiritual, not unspiritual. Because Esau was unspiritual, what did he eventually lose? His birthright as the older son. Why? What led to him giving up, selling his birthright for a single meal? What was it that caused him to do that? Genesis 25, 34. Then Jacob, we, give, we get a clue here. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. The Bible says he despised his birthright. You know why? When you don't appreciate something, you end up losing it, you end up despising it. Isn't that true? This is why when we are gifted with something, appreciate what God has given you. 
Because if you don't appreciate it, you're going to lose it. You're going to despise it. The Bible says he despised his birthright because he did not give value to it. And we're thinking, why would he not give proper value to his birthright? Perhaps he didn't understand fully what that meant. This is why as members of the Church of Christ today, we need to know fully what our membership in the body of Christ entails, right? What does it mean that Esau had a birthright as the firstborn? What did that include? Let's read Genesis 27, 28 to 29. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let's pause there for a while. We kind of jump to Genesis 27. When God, when, uh, what's his name, Isaac, was blessing his son, Esau. He thought it was Esau, but in actuality it was who? Jacob. So this was the blessing that was going to pass on or given to uh, Jacob. And so part of that blessing of the firstborn is this. God, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Pause for a while. What does that mean? What does that represent? Physical, material, earthly, wealth, and blessing. That's part of uh, what you get as firstborn son. Okay? But that's not all. Because we're talking about Abraham here. We're not talking about just any household. We're talking about the household of Abraham. And so what did it also include? 29. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Curse be everyone who curses you and bless be those who bless you. Not only did the blessing of the firstborn include earthly and material blessings, but also spiritual blessings. He would be the leader spiritually, kind of like a family priest that would lead the worship of his family. And in this case, of his people. That would be his heritage. What else? Curse be everyone who curses you. Bless be those who bless you. That's also in connection with Genesis 12, wherein God was prophesying Christ Jesus. And so part of the great blessing of being the firstborn in the line of Abraham was you were going to be a link, an ancestor of the Messiah himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why when we look at Matthew 1, 1 to 2, this is the list of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, a descendant of David, who was a descendant of Abraham. From Abraham to King David, the following ancestors are listed, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Because he, be, he was the one that was blessed by, by Isaac, Jacob. And so the birthright as the, the right of the firstborn, it included earthly blessing, spiritual leadership, and connection, a linking with the Messiah himself. What do you think? Is that a great blessing? Absolutely. He traded all that for some beans. A plate of beans. He traded that away. What do you, what do you think? Do you think that's a good bargain? That's a pretty bad deal, right? You know what's also a bad deal during our time? Let's read Matthew 16, 24, 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit? 
if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul, is anything worth more than your soul? You know what a good sign of spiritual maturity is? When they know the difference between what is valuable and what is the most valuable. For us, what is the most valuable? Christ. Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul said, all of his wealth, all of his education, he said that's rubbish compared to who? Knowing Christ. And so if we want to be spiritually mature, we should be willing to give up the whole world to gain who? Christ. But here's Esau. He did not value the birthright. He gave it up for a single plate of beans. That's why it was called unspiritual. Next slide. So practical lessons from Jacob and Esau. Number one, be spiritual. Brethren, we can be spiritual by valuing spiritual things over material things. What else can we learn? Hebrews 12, 16 and 17. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. You know, sometimes we make choices in our life of which we regret, right? And you go to God and you repent. But there are actions that sometimes cannot be undone through repentance. And so when Esau realizes his great mistake, what does he do? He goes to Abraham, he goes to uh, his father Isaac, and he says, can I get my birthright back? It's too late. No amount of tears, no amount of repentance can bring that back to you. This is why... As human beings, as members of the Church of Christ, God's people in these last days, we should be mindful of every choice that we make. Why? Because sometimes one choice, one choice could erase a lot of what we have, if not everything we have, right? What should we always keep in mind so that we will be spiritual when it comes to making choices in our life? Galatians 6, 7, 8, do not deceive yourselves. No one makes a fool of God. You will reap exactly what you plant. If you plant the field of your natural desires from it, you will gather the harvest of death. If you plant in the field of the Spirit, from the Spirit, you will gather the harvest of eternal life. And so the Bible says, every choice we make, you're free to make them. But after you make the choice, you got to prepare for the consequences. Right? We have to understand by making the choice... You also choose the consequence of that choice. And God is telling us in advance, if we plant in the field of our natural desires, like Esau, then you're going to reap death. But if you plant the seed of the Spirit, like Jacob, then you're going to reap everlasting life. And so before we make any choice, let's ask ourselves, is this to please the Spirit or is it to please the flesh? Let's always make the choice that pleases the Spirit. Next slide. So number two. Be mindful when making choices because sometimes even one small choice can have drastic and lasting consequences. And we don't want this to happen to anyone of us who are here. What else? 
one more practical lesson we can learn. Genesis 25, 29 to 32. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? So here's Esau. He comes home from hunting, and he feels exhausted and hungry. How many here have felt exhausted and hungry? Yeah? I'm sure everyone here, right? You've worked eight hours. You're hungry. At that point, you're hangry, right? You're hungry and angry at the same time. And so he's Esau. He was exhausted and hungry. And then he says something that really is uncalled for. What does he say? He said, look, I'm dying of starvation. Okay. Is he really dying? <laughs> is he dying? I mean, if he hasn't eaten for 40 days, then we can say he's dying, right? But he hasn't eaten because he went hunting. It doesn't mean he's dying of hunger. He may be hungry. You see, when a person is unspiritual, the first sign of discomfort, they panic, right? And when you panic, you lose your focus on what is more valuable. Isn't that true? That's what happened to Esau. He got hungry, and all he thought about was food, how to satisfy his flesh, rather than think about the glory that could have been his if he got the birthright. And so as people of God, let's learn from that. How? Whenever we face problems, troubles in our life today, what do we need to do? Corinthians 4, 17 or 18, and this small and temporary trouble we suffer will bring us a tremendous and eternal glory, much greater than the trouble. For we fix our attention not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. What can be seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. You know, in this life, here on earth, we are the people of God, yes. But in our journey, we're going to encounter problems and troubles. When that is the case, instead of fixing our attention on the trouble, what should we do? We should fix our attention on the things that we cannot see. Why? Because that's what's eternal. And so the troubles that we are enduring, it's only temporary. And what is it doing for us? The Bible says it is bringing us our tremendous and eternal glory. So look at, what the, look at the unseen. Or what or who should we look at who is now unseen to help us endure? Let's read Hebrews 12, verse 2. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. He did not give up because of the cross. On the contrary, because of the joy that was waiting for him. He thought nothing of the disgrace of dying on the cross. And he is now seated at the right side of God's throne. This is what we need to do. So that we can be spiritual. We fix our eyes upon our Lord Jesus Christ. Not anyone here on earth, but Christ. Because he is the one of whom our faith depends from beginning all the way until the end. Next slide. So these, that's number three. Don't let our present earthly problems cause us to lose focus on spiritual things. Rather, we should focus all the more on Christ and the spiritual things he is preparing for each 
and every one of us. Next slide. So we know the practical lesson. There's also a theological lesson we can get. What is that? Like I said, when Rebecca cried to our God and said to God, Lord, why is this happening to me? God gives him a prophecy, right? Let's look. Let's look at that prophecy. In Genesis 25, verse 23, the Lord said to her, Two nations are within you. You will give birth to two rival peoples. One will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. Let's focus. This prophecy has two parts. Let's focus on the, two, the first part. Two nations are within you who will be rivals against each other. How was that fulfilled? Let's, Genesis 36, verse 9. This is the, the account of Esau's descendants. Who are they? The Edomites who lived in the hill country of Seir. So Jacob would be the ancestor of the Israelites. Okay? Esau would be the ancestor of the Edomites. So who are these two nations that come, will come from the womb of Rebekah? We have Esau, the Edomites, Jacob, the Israelites. Edomites, Israelites. Was there ever a conflict between those two nations? Let's find out. 1 Samuel 14, verse 47, After Saul became king of Israel, he fought all his enemies everywhere, including who? The people of Edom. And so you can... When uh, Saul became the king of Israel, people of Edom begin to rise against the people of Israel. What else? For 2 Samuel 8, 13 and 14, when David now is king, David became even more famous when he returned from killing 18,000 Edomites in Salt Valley. He set up military camp throughout Edom, and the people there became his subjects. The Lord made David victorious everywhere. So eventually, prophecy was fulfilled. He would be the, the Edomites would be subjects or would be ruled over by the Israelites. But what eventually would happen? Second Kings 8, 20, 22. During Jehoram's reign, Edom revolted against Judah and became an independent kingdom. So before they were subjects of the Israelites and Judah. But time came when uh, they revolted against Judah and became an independent nation. So Jehoram sent out with all his chariots to Zaire, where the Edomite army surrounded them. During the night, he and his chariot commanders managed to break out and escape, and his soldiers scattered to their homes. Edom has been independent of Judah ever since. During this period, the city of Libna also revolted. And so during the time of the prophets, the time of the kings, we can see the conflict between the Israelites and the Edomites, right? And even in the Christian era, how? Let's go to Matthew 2, 1 to 2 and 16. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report in the first star's first appearance. Here we hear, we hear of King Herod. Remember King Herod? 
There are actually three Herods in the New Testament. This Herod, his son, who would be the, another Herod, and another son who would be the third Herod, who would be the one to kill John the Baptist, and also would be the one who interrogates the Lord Jesus Christ before he was put to death. There are three Herods persecuted Christianity, Christ specifically. And even before Christ was born, the original Herod, Herod the Great, what happened when there were wise people from the East who came asking about the whereabouts of the, the king of the Jews? He said, let's kill all the boys. All of them who are two years old and under in Bethlehem because he wanted to make sure that this child would not be born according to the prophecy. Herod the Great. You know who he was? He was an Edomite. That's why even during the Christian era, the Edomites were in conflict with the people of God. And so in the womb of Rebecca, you can, she can feel that conflict taking place even before they were born. Now, there's another part of prophecy that's very controversial. Genesis 25, 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are within you. You will give birth to two rival peoples. One will be stronger than the other. The older will serve the younger. What does that mean? And why does God choose Jacob rather than Esau? When it's supposed to be who? Esau. Because according to the rule, who's supposed to be the one to receive the firstborn rights? Esau. Why does God choose Jacob instead? Let's read Romans 9, 10 to 13. Apostle Paul, make, trying to make sense of all of this. This is what he teaches about uh, Jacob and Esau. Now, not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet, before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Very powerful words. And so the Bible says, even before the twins were born, therefore, even before they can do anything good or bad, God declares something to Rebecca. What does he say to her? The older will serve the younger, going against tradition. What is the point of all this? God wants to show us that he is sovereign, that he can do anything he wants. Why? To serve the purpose of election. When God calls a people, when God chooses someone, God chooses according to his Purpose, not because of our works. And that's what he's trying to illustrate there. This is why we can kind of see here the difference between freedom of choice and destiny. Predestination. Have you heard of predestination before? Right? Was Esau predestined to suffer? No. What was predestined by God? What did he choose even before they were born? Who would be the leader? Who was that? Jacob. 
And so what should Esau, what should he have done? He should have agreed with God, right? Because it's his choice. Yes, I was born first, but if God chooses Jacob, then so be it. God makes choices according to his purpose, not ours. Why? Because he's the creator. We're but clay. He is the one making the shape from the clay. This is why we have to understand God's sovereignty in all of this. But there's something, you know, I remember every, very first time or every time I read Romans 9, this kind of bothers me a lot. And it's the last part right there. Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Those are powerful words, right? Here's my question to you. Does it mean even before Jacob and Esau were born, God already hated Esau? That's what I thought first. But you noticed in verse 12, God says, not by works, but by him who calls she was told. Who is that she? Rebecca. What did God tell Rebecca? Did God tell Rebecca, I hate Esau? No. God did not say that. What did God say? God said, the, young, the older will serve thee, younger. That's God's choice. Just like God predestined us to belong to Christ. God chose Christ based on his election. And so we have the freedom to choose to either accept it or reject it. Of course, we accept it because we belong to Christ now, right? But when it comes to God hating Esau, God did not say that. When, well, it, Jacob and Esau were in the womb. You notice in verse 13, just as it is, it is written. You notice the quotation marks? What does it say? Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Apostle Paul was getting a quote or using a quote from what was written. What was that quote? Let's find out. Malachi 1, 1 to 4. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom. Who's Edom? Esau may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land of people always under the wrath of the Lord. And so when God says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated, he said those words to who? Malachi. The book of Malachi happens to be the last book of the Old Testament. And so Jacob and Esau lived out their life. Israel and the Edomites became nations. The Edomites identified with Edom or Esau. They were a wicked people who, who is under the wrath of our almighty God. This is why God says, I hate Esau. Because Esau would be the source of the wickedness that God saw among the Edomites. And so God says, I hate Esau. You get that? And so which makes us wonder, what did he saw in Esau? 
because we don't ever want to be hated by God because God looks very upset, right? People always under the wrath of the Lord. We don't want to be under the wrath of the Lord. So we don't want to do, we don't want to make, make the mistake of Esau. And so what was it that God saw in Esau? We're going to look at a book. It's called Obadiah. How many here have seen the book of Obadiah in the Bible? I think it's the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's only one chapter. And it's only about Esau. It's like God's microscope of Esau and the Edomites, which will reveal to us the root cause for why God decided to say, I hate Esau. You want to see what it is? Obadiah. One, two down to three. This is what it says. The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down a size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. You have deceived. You have been deceived by your own. What does it say? Pride. Because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high mounts. Who can ever reach us? Way up here, you ask boastfully. What was it that God saw that he despised? which led to the wickedness of the Edomites because he first saw this in Esau. Esau, Edom, Edom, Esau, they're one and the same as far as God is concerned. It's pride. It's pride. Remember, Esau was given the birthright, right? That birthright represented relationship with God. And so when he was willing to sell it for a plate of beans, you know what he's telling God? He's telling God, I don't need you. These beans are more important than you. That's pride. Whenever we live thinking we don't need God, that's pride. And brethren, that is a dangerous sin. You know, in the church, what do you think about this? Inside the church. When someone is caught stealing and he's sent to jail, what do we do with that person? Expel him, right? Someone is doing adultery, what do we do with that person? We expel him. If someone is very proud and arrogant, do they get expelled? Let's just talk to him. We take it lightly. God does not. Do you get that? We have to watch ourselves from pride. If there's one lesson that we need to get from Esau, brethren, watch your heart because we might become proud. We might become proud. And God hates pride. Esau became Esau because of his pride. And so we need to be humble. If you really want to boast, it's what God says. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power, the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth. And I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. You really want to boast? Don't boast about your wisdom, your power, 
your riches. Instead, boast about knowing God, that we understand him, that he is the Lord. This is why our work together as the very small remnant of God's people, you know what it is? It's not to boast. It's not to say we're better than the others. It's not to say our group is better than that group. No. Our work is to understand God as the one who demonstrates unfailing love and brings justice and righteousness to the earth. This is why we busy ourselves, not in gossip. Rather, we busy ourselves in studying the work of God, the Bible. This is why we have the Bible History Project. What's its purpose? Is it so that we can boast of ourselves? No. So that we can boast that we, we understand that we want to know God. We want to know the Lord, how he dealt with his people in the past, so that we can learn from, his, from the mistakes of God's people in the past, so that we can learn to appreciate God's kindness, his love. This is why, brothers and sisters, let's focus on God, not ourselves, but God. Focus on him. Because whenever we say to ourselves, whenever we live even a single day of our life thinking we don't need God, we have committed the sin of Esau. Never think you can live without God. We need God every moment, every day in our life. Okay, brothers and sisters, that's our lesson for tonight. Let's all stand and we pray together. Everlasting and most holy Father, thank you so much, O God. Because you are indeed our Father, demonstrates unshakable love and kindness throughout the land. Thank you for being patient with us. Because when we look at our life, we confess to you, there have been times when we have been proud. When we stopped thinking of you, Lord, change us. Remind us every day. We cannot possibly live our life apart from you. Every moment of our existence, we can only bear when we are with you. Lord, we cherish you. We worship your holy name. Help us to think of you always in our life. Help us to place our focus on you and your beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Teach us to live by faith. Yes. When troubles come our way, teach us to fix our eyes upon you. Yes. You endured all things. You focused on the joy that was ahead. Yes. The joy wherein you will be with us and we with you yes. in your eternal kingdom. Amen. Remind us of what lies ahead. Yes. To think spiritually of the future. Yes. That when we are able to endure until the end, we will be with you forevermore. Amen. Lord God, remember your people throughout the world. Yes. When we pray to you, Father, to inquire of things, yes. when we need wisdom or healing, whatever it may be, oh, Father, we will look up to you. Yes. We will ask for your blessings. From heaven above, we beg you, oh, God, yes. manifest yourself. Give us your power and strengthen always your people. Amen. We know you are preparing for the great day of your son's return. Yes. We will do our best. But who are we, O oh God? Yes. We need you always in our life. Yes. May you strengthen our hope and teach us to endure until the end. Yes. 
We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.